I, uh, I really prayed about what we would do next. You know, looking at the study for this week for Who's Your One, I'll just be honest with you. I was like, I just don't feel like this is it this week. I don't feel like this is what we need. Um, and I don't like to always be reactionary to certain things, but I think that there are times sometimes when we just stop and we just need to like just reflect and just seek what the Lord has for us in this moment for what we're going through or what our community is going through, what the people around us are going through. And, um, and that's where we're going to be this morning. I didn't have a title slide. I don't have fancy points for you or anything like that. All I have is God's word this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 22 because that's where we're going to be at. And um, my prayer in this this morning is that as we get into it, as we see what God's got for us, that we can just really allow him to kind of shape us in the midst of life. You know, um, as we get into Psalm 22, you're going to see some very familiar words. You're going to see some very familiar uh, expressions um, that are not accidental Uh, They are very intentional in the sense of what David, the psalmist, is saying to uh, God in this time, what he's saying to the people who will read this text, uh, what he is saying in the midst of all of those things. And so for us, uh, we're going to see that. And so this morning we stepped away from our series. We're going to pick it back up next week with the Who's Your One. And I pray that you're still considering your one. And I think in a lot of ways, this situation, uh, what we're going to see in this text, it may even help you as you minister to your one, because maybe these questions or maybe these things kind of come up. But one of the biggest uh, complaints about Christianity uh, or even any kind of theism where we believe in a God, a deity who is over us, uh, especially in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of grief, the question always comes, well, if there is a loving God who cares about his people, why? Why does he allow terrible things to happen? Why does he allow suffering to happen? Why does he allow children to get cancer? Why does he allow accidents that take people away from this world too early? Why does he allow those things? And, um, you know, for me, in my life, you know, experiencing those questions from people and having to talk through those things with people very close to me uh, that have those questions and have those concerns and have those, uh, in some ways, complaints about the faith and about a so-called good God. Why does he allow those things? And so for me and for us, what I hope that we can see is that I believe in all my heart, I believe with all my heart that Christianity is the most logical worldview. I do. I believe in that with all my heart. But I also believe not only is it the most logical worldview, but I also believe that it offers the most comfort and the most answers in the midst of suffering. I believe that with all my heart, that Christianity and the biblical God offers us the most comforting and informative, satisfying answer for suffering in the world. Even though God is good and there is suffering and hurt in the world, I believe God offers us those answers and he makes it very clear to us what that is. And so the question, and it's a very important question, you know, and I believe God's word gives us the the wisdom for that. You know, a lot of times we want to go to the Bible for answers. Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't find the answer in the Bible. But what the Bible does give us is the Bible gives us wisdom to see those answers. It gives us the wisdom and the insight as we face situations that I might not have the answer for, but I have the wisdom to deal with that situation. I have the wisdom to walk through or to make it through this situation. And so the thing that we have to understand, the common experience, and we've talked about this before, the common experience of all humanity that transcends gender, that transcends social status, that transcends race, that transcends religion is suffering. 
is lost, is grief. Like there, there is nobody, and there is no one that can escape loss. There is no one that, we've all in some way, shape, or form have either experienced loss or you're moving into a space where you may experience, where you will experience loss of some degree because we live in a broken world with frail bodies that the moment we take our first breath, that timer starts. And that every day, every minute, every second, we're closer. We're closer to the end. We're closer to this, to, to things just ticking, this, this coming to an end. And, and we live in this broken, frail world where, in, where there's the effects, the sting of sin and the power of death. You know, specifically talking about the loss of a loved one. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he actually had that loss in his life. And this is what he says about it. He says, the death of a beloved is an amputation. When you've lost someone or you've lost something, you know, and all of this really applies to any kind of struggle, any kind of loss, or maybe we've lost, we felt like we've lost control, or we've lost ourselves, or we've lost our power, or we've, we've lost our position, or we've lost something in our life, that, that it feels like an amputation. And specifically speaking about death, Paul tells the people when he's speaking of the coming of Christ, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. He says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That until Christ back, comes back, each and every one of us will experience the sting of death. Until Christ return, death, loss, and suffering will be the inevitable enemy that we will all experience and face in our physical and our emotional state on earth. But the beautiful thing about it is, church, that God still leans in to our lives in the midst of that. God does not leave us wandering. He does not leave us on our own. He does not leave us trying to fight these battles, trying to deal with loss, trying to deal with disappointments, trying to deal with anxieties or worries or depressions, all those things. He does not leave us on our own. But he says this in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who have lost. Blessed are those who are struggling, who are suffering, who are grieving. It says, for they will be comforted. That is Jesus speaking a promise of God to us. And so the main point that I want us to hear this morning, and when I speak of grief, I want you to see it with, with, with a broad stroke of the brush this morning that we're speaking of it not only in loss and physical loss, but maybe even other types of loss uh, or other types of struggles or other types of suffering that you're going through this morning that you're dealing with. That, that we can have this understanding this morning, if I can make any point clear, it's this, that the grief we experience in loss is meant to be faced with honesty and dependency before a God who is not far from us. Before a God who is not far from us. And I want to read Psalm 22. Listen, there's 31 verses in this, and I'm not going to go verse by verse for all 31, so don't panic. But I do want to read this chapter in its entirety together this morning. And allow it to sink into us as we kind of break it down what God's got to show us this morning. Psalm 22, verse 1. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, there should be a blue one near you. You can use that or the screens. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts 
the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, and I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who, are, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or adored the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes praise in the great congregations. For my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. My heart, my, may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that whether it's our own suffering or the suffering of those around us, God, that we can lean in to your goodness this morning and your faithfulness to your people. God, that even when we can't see it, God, even when we don't know it, God, that we can rest in the confidence that he has done it, that you have done it. God, you have done what we needed, that you've been what we've needed. God, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that healing begins with honesty. I love how David just approaches this. And I don't have a lot of notes this morning. And I just want to get, I want to get through this and let us see this quickly this morning. But that healing begins with honesty. David says, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David lamenting. This is one of many laments that David does through the book of Psalms where he just cries out to God like, God, why do I feel alone? This word forsaken means being left behind, that you have moved away from me, that you have left me alone. God, why have you left me alone? Why do I feel this way? Why is there no answer? Why do I find no rest? Just David pouring out this honesty in this mind, in this midst of suffering. Like this is just such a perfect place for us to be in this honesty. And I 
lot of times as Christians, we feel like, well, I shouldn't be this honest, right? I shouldn't question or doubt God. I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask him, like, why is he doing something? When in David, right in this very verse, he says, he's crying out, God, why do I feel like I'm left alone? He continues in verse six, he says, but I am a worm, not a man. Like he says that I'm not even, I don't even feel like a lowly man. He says, I feel lower than a man. He says, not only do I feel lower than a man, but I feel like a a small, tiny, vulnerable animal. Not only do I feel like that, but I feel lower than the dirt. I mean, like how much lower could he get? Like he just pouring out like how just distraught and how just distressed he is in this moment. And, and he says that, that he feels lower than man, lower than dirt. He feels shameful, unworthy. He even feels mocked in the midst of his suffering. It says that they're saying he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. So not only does it this internal feeling that he's dealing with, but this external oppression that the people around him are mocking him. They're saying, if God loves you so much, why are you suffering this way? Why is your life not more put together? Why don't you have it all together? Why aren't things going well for you? If God loves you so much, they're mocking him. And it continues on in verse 14. He says, my heart is like wax, this internal turmoil that he's experienced. He says it's burning within my chest, that he's just broken down this internal suffering that he's experienced. He's emotionally distressed, that his heart is melted, that his heart is broken. Verse 18, it says, they divide my garments. They divide my garments. And, and so this is that fe- this feeling of nakedness, this vulnerability, this, this shame, this humiliation that he's feeling in this moment, that he's just broken. You know, and I, and I don't know what kind of experiences you're currently going through or what kind of experiences you may be getting ready to go through or the experiences you've been through or maybe even the experiences of people around you. For us who live in this community, there are people in our community, maybe these families that have experienced this loss right now that may be feeling this type of suffering and grief. And honesty is that first place that, that, Paul, that David shows us here. And I believe with all my heart that God invites us into that honesty. God does not shy away from our honesty, but he calls us to this honesty because the thing that we have to understand is this feeling of forsakenness, this feeling of suffering is not unique or even unexpected. John Calvin said this, he says, There is not one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself the same thing. According to the judgment of the flesh, he thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God, while yet he apprehends by faith grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. You know, it's because of our sin, it's because of our flesh, we are going to find many situations where we feel forsaken by God because of our sin, because of our flesh, uh, because of the brokenness around us, whether it's in personal loss or whether it's in our sinfulness that it says, he says here, he says it is not unique that you, because of your flesh, he thinks that he is cast off and forsaken by God. And so there will be these situations in our life that we will feel forsaken from God. And so if we have those feelings, first off, where we can't be, and we'll get into this as we move on, we we can't allow ourselves to be to a mindset or a place where we believe that we are forsaken forever, that God has pushed us away and that he is not concerned for us or that he is not caring for us. 
Because we can't think, we must not think that living the Christian life is easier or that we will not daily have to bear our cross that may involve and may experience some loss, may experience those, those worries and those struggles with life. As we're grasping for the Lord in the midst of our, of, of our, of our anxieties, of our worries, of our day-to-day lives, of, of the suffering or loss that we're experiencing, as we're grasping for the Lord, I hope and I pray that we are finding ourselves in this place of honesty where we are able to seek the Lord in the midst of that and say, like, why do I feel this way? God is inviting that that question. God is inviting those things for us. He's inviting the question of why. Why do I feel this way? Why is this going on? This is what's happening. He's just communicating this turmoil that he's experiencing. But the second thing that I want us to see in this, in the midst of the honesty, in the midst of the turmoil and the suffering, the second thing is that we be directed by our dependency. That we can see from without a doubt what David depended on. That even in his questions, even in his doubts, even in his struggles and his sufferings, he would say this, my God. He'd say, my God, why have you forsaken me? My, he's still claiming ownership of God as he's questioning and asking God, like, why is this happening? That You are my God. And then he would say in verse 2, he says, yet you are holy. Even though these things are going on around me and to me and I'm experiencing, he says that you are my God. I have not neglected you as my God. And yet, even though these things are happening, you are holy, that you are sacred, that you are set apart, that you are sovereign, that you are over all things. And so even though this is happening, yet you are holy. David was at a place of dependence. He depended on the Lord. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, I need Christ, not something resembling him. The thing with David in this moment is that David wasn't running to the Lord in desperation, trying to find him. David already knew the Lord. He says, my God, I know you. Church, the most important thing for us, the most important thing for us is that we would rather be standing with the Lord instead of searching for him in the storm. When the storm comes, that's when it's difficult to find the Lord. When the struggles come, when the suffering comes, when the grief comes, if we haven't already known him before that, leaned into him before that, we are going to be frantically searching in the midst of darkness and stormy waters around us. David gives us this instruction and this encouragement to know my God before that. To know that he is holy before that. Yet, You are holy. In verse 11, he says that for trouble is near and there is none to help. That David is recognizing that there is no help outside of you. That there is nothing in my life that I can do or change outside of the Lord to make this feel better, to make this resolute, to make it come to terms. He says there is nothing that can help me. There is none to help. The problem comes when our dependence isn't established until it comes. He's calling us to this dependence that directs us. Hebrews 4.16, he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let us then draw near that we may receive beforehand. And that is the most important thing. My encouragement for you, like I said, whether you're in the midst of it now, you're going to experience some kind of hurt, suffering, a loss in your life. I, I, I beg you to draw near now. Draw near to that throne of grace. 
Draw near for the mercy that you will need in a time of hurt and suffering. So that we can have that confidence to know that yet you are holy. You are my God. And even though I'm experiencing this, even though I feel forsaken, you're my God and you are holy. Charles Spurgeon said, they feel that they are well cared for. Those who, who have gone to the Lord says they feel they are well, well cared for. They know that the storm has a bit in its mouth and that God holds in it and that nothing can hurt them. Nothing can happen to them but what God permits. Nothing can happen to them but what God permits. And so that moves us into the last thing this morning, that if God permits something, then he has an intention with that. That he is trying to do something with us. And that would be something flowing from his promises for us. And so the last thing this morning, being that our praise would be from his promises. That our praise would be from his promises. Remembering his goodness. And, and we see this through these texts. In verse 9, he says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You know, before David even had a, a thought about God, he says, he recognizes that my very birth, the first breath that I took into my lungs, it because you took me from my mother's womb. It's because you breathed life into me. Because God, from the very beginning of our life, before we've ever put faith in him, before we've ever acknowledged him, he was faithful to us. God was your God before he was your God. There is no way we escape that. There is no way we hide from that. And there's no way we push God far enough away for him to not be our God. He is your God even when he's not your God. That he took you, that he is intimately involved in our lives from the very beginning. That he is intimately involved not only when we're not recognizing him, but how even much more so is God interworking in our lives and intimately involved when we are acknowledging him as my God, when we are resting on him as holy, when we are resting on him as the one who took us from our mother's womb, who provided what we needed to survive, who helped us to feed from our mothers, who laid us before uh, his grace and his mercy. In verse four, he says that in you, our fathers trusted and you delivered him. He's referencing something that has happened. He's referencing uh, all that God has done for his people. Resting in the promises of God, having confidence in his goodness. In verse 21, I love David's statement here in verse 21 because he says he's asking for rescue. He's asking for deliverance. He's asking for peace and all these things. And what does he say in verse 21? He says, you have rescued me. That even if he's not rescued now, he's standing with this confidence and saying, you have rescued me. Now, this isn't an easy place to come to in the midst of suffering or worries or hurts or difficulties. So I'm not belittling. Because, and David isn't belittling the suffering right here. I mean, as, as, as agonizing as the language is in Psalm 22, we have to understand he is putting a front and center of the hurt and the suffering and the agony of being a human being in a broken world. But then he's also bringing our attention to the hopefulness and the faithfulness that we have in a God that is intimately involved in our lives. Even before we've acknowledged him, he took us from our mother's womb and he breathed life into our lungs. That it's, it's because of his mercies that we're made new. It's because of his mercies that, that we wake up in the morning. It's because of his mercies that we have anything that we have in our lives. 
Psalm 71, verse 6, he says, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Church, in the midst of our hurt and our suffering and our difficulties, that we would be remembering his promises, facing his grace and his faith daily as we encounter our problems. That we would be praising him from these promises, that we would allow this to be what propels us through our hurt, propels us through our difficulties, propels us through our questions, through our doubts, or these promises that he, he was there before I was born, that he knew me before I was born, that he was intimately involved in my forming, in my parents, and just in everything where we get the yet you are holy. Church, God is holy. He is sovereign. And it is that, it is that mindset and that worldview that I feel like is, is truly the only true answer and help in suffering. You know, there, is, there, there are doctrines, even doctrines of Christianity that fall so short of giving any peace or comfort in the midst of suffering. So many that are fall short of that. Because it makes the suffering either seem like it's because I've done something wrong or it makes the suffering seem like it's for nothing. But I don't believe we, we serve a God that allows suffering for nothing. That God has intentions in every single life experience that we have. Martin Luther said this, he said, men will never become great in divinity until they become great in suffering. This heaviness is of essential use to the Christian if... He would do good to others. Those who have been in the chamber of affliction know how to comfort those who are there. Any suffering, any difficulty, any questions that we experience, if not used for good or good for nothing. He says that we are so much more well equipped when we've personally experienced the hurts and the sufferings of this world. Does it make it easier to experience? Absolutely not. You know, does it make it easier for a mother who has lost her son to deal with that loss? To know that she can use that loss to help someone else? Absolutely not. But the moment that she's able to lean into the life of another mother who's lost a child and be able to say, you know what, I've been through this and God's pulled me through it. Will it certainly reveal to her that those moments aren't wasted? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of things that God wants to do with us and through us to prepare us for the work that he wants to do with us. You know, and, and I don't do a lot of gardening or planting, Mr. Craig. He'd, he'd have the answers and the, the ways to do all this. But, but the thing that I do know, because I've been terrible at it before, is that planting seeds and to grow something, some type of vegetation, there's a process to it. You know, there's considerations to it. The type of soil that you're using, the, 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 the nutrients, the, the, the additives that you put in it and the work that you do to it. You know, there's all these things that you can fancy it up and make it look pretty, all of this stuff to, to try to grow something. But it's not just about finding a place to throw seeds down. It's not just finding a place to say, this is a good place to, to grow something from. That before that a seed can be planted, 
before nutrients can be added, before additives can be put into the soil, that soil has to be broken apart. Sharp metal objects have to be pushed through it, broken. Every piece of it has to be broken and softened and prepared to receive everything that the, 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 the planter has to give it. Church, everything God wants to do with us, he first has to break some of that from within us. Prepare anything he does for us that feels, uh, that feels difficult, that feels abrasive or aggressive or, 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 or tough. It's because he's softening us up to grow something from within us, to add something to our life. To, to, to grow us, to, to give us nutrition, preparing us to receive the seeds that develop into something worth using, something that bears fruit, something that grows and flourishes. Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things the good that we experience, the bad that we experience, the suffering we experience, the worries we experience, the anxieties we experience, the difficulties we experience, they all can work together for our good at the hands of our good God, at the hands of my God, at the hands of the Holy One, at the hands of the one that was there in the beginning, at the hands of the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. At His hands, all things work together. You know, that's one of the verses this week in our devotion in Mark 4. You know, it talks about the soil, the different soils. God is preparing us as a soil to grow, to bear fruit, to flourish. And that our private deliverance deserves a public testimony. You know, and he says that, continuing on, verse 22, he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In verse 24, he says, for he has not despised or not heard, not hidden his face. And so he says, I will tell him, my brothers, what is he telling his brothers? All those feelings that you're feeling, I've experienced them. And let me tell you, he has not despised you. He has not not heard you. He has not hidden his face from you. That he's saying that I will tell my brothers that, that they will need to hear that as they come into those situations. And that's the same thing for us, is that as we experience hurt, as we experience suffering, as we experience difficulties, it's not just to crush us. It's not just for nothing, that our suffering is for something when we use it to help others. Our suffering, our difficulty is for something when we help, use it to help others. Because the reality is, and I believe that you've seen it as we've read through this text, you've seen the constant thread that's interwoven in the midst of this text from verse 1 to verse 31, is that Jesus is all up in the middle of this. Jesus is all up in the middle of David's experience in this text. And that not only is Jesus in the middle of David's experience, but Jesus would up the ante. That Jesus would not only be in the middle of David's suffering, but Jesus would be in the midst, in the middle of our suffering. Each and every one of us. That he bore the suffering of mankind from generation to generation so that he would not ever be able to be looked at as a distant God who sits on his throne and has no idea how his people hurt. 
He bore our suffering. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John chapter 6, uh, John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, when he had received an unsatisfying treat in that moment, this sour wine, it says that he said, it is finished. And in David, in verse 31, what does he say? He has done it. That in my suffering, in everything I'm experiencing right now, David is pointing hundreds of years ahead of himself. Resting in the hope and the confidence of a God who he knew has done it. That he has rescued me even when I don't feel rescued. That he has provided for me even when I don't feel provided for. That he has given me hope when all I see is hopelessness. That when I'm faithless, he is faithful. He has done it. That all the cries of my heart, that I, that I should be crying out to God. God's answer to us is that he has done it. That he has given victory when there's not victory to be seen. That he's given provision when there's not provision to be found. That he has done it. That he's given peace when I can't find the peace. That he's given me comfort when I can't find the comfort. That he's given it there. And whether it's straight from God himself into our hearts or it's from him giving it to the people around us, that is the whole point of a local congregation of church people. To put all these broken people all into one space so when one of us experiences a hurt, praise God, there's someone else that's been through that same hurt and can stand next to them, encourage them, and be that tool of God in the place of his people. This phrase, he has done it, can also be translated, it is finished. David said, it is finished. That the Savior of the universe has come and he's done it. Even if he hasn't done it yet. Hundreds of years from now, David's thinking he's done it, but he hasn't done it yet. Church, we live and walk in the day of he's done it. He's done more for us than we could ever really ask of him. And we have the opportunity to live and walk in that confidence. We have the opportunity to lean into people's lives during their suffering and their hurts and offer them this same hope. And so what do we do? What do we do as Christians who experience what we experience and, and we have people around us who experience the things that they experience as we kind of finish up this morning? I just want to lay these things out before us. That for us as Christians, that Christians experience grief, but without despair. That we experience sorrow without defeat, sadness without hopelessness. That we experience true sorrow and true hope all at once. That don't feel like you're doing something wrong if at any point in your life you feel forsaken. Because it is not a unique experience to individuals because of our flesh and our sinfulness and especially the work of the enemy whispering into our ears. Where is God at? Just like these mockers. Let him trust in God. Let him delight. Let God rescue him if that's who he's got confidence in. Jesus doesn't have to be our crutch. Jesus doesn't have to be our excuse, but he can be our confidence and our dependence. And so for us, how do I face this in my life? 
I believe these three things of honesty, dependency, and praise are what gets me and gets you as an individual through the suffering, the hurt, and the loss that we'll experience. Be honest. Don't be afraid to depend on the Lord and allow yourself in the midst of your suffering to still praise Him. Being reminded of things that He's done in your life. Being reminded of His goodness. Being reminded of the good. Because He has done it. If you're a Christian this morning, you can proclaim He has done it. It is finished. He has stood in our suffering, that He is not distant and that He is not disinterested in us. He bore our suffering so that He could stand next to us in the fire, so that He could stand next to us in our difficulties, so that He could walk with us in our, in our victories, and that He has guaranteed hope and comfort to us carry us through. And so how do you walk with someone else? Maybe you're not experiencing that right now. And there are people in our community right now that are experiencing this loss and grief and suffering. And grief is normal. You know, I tell all my patients, I deal with a lot of loss from day to day. And I tell all my patients and their families, hey, grief is normal. Grief is there because love is there. And when, when that individual is removed, the love is still, still there. And so grief fills that void and grief is okay. And so how do I walk with someone else? The first thing that I believe that we do is that we acknowledge the hurt, the questions, and the pain. It's part of this honesty. That, you know, uh, I was reading something this week and it says, for someone who has experienced loss or difficulties in their life, they immediately build this wall between them and everybody else. And until someone steps in and acknowledges their hurt, acknowledges that their hurt is, is there, acknowledges that their hurt is, is heavy and that is real, that wall is there until that acknowledgement comes and then that wall comes down. And then they begin to open up and they begin to allow you to be there with them in the midst of that. And so don't be afraid to acknowledge. Well, I know it's awkward sometimes. We always don't know what to say. Even if it's simply, I'm so sorry not only acknowledging the hurt, but be available. Not always informational. You know, they won't remember what you say, but they'll know that you were there. You may not always know what to say, but they'll remember that you were there. And then the last thing this morning is that you would point them to the hope of Christ. We all need something beyond this world. I, I, I have to believe. I, have, I choose to believe because I believe God's word tells us and I believe it's the one and true word. I believe that no suffering is for nothing. And I believe that there's hope beyond this world. And that nothing ends. Nothing ends. Everything carries on beyond this. And I want to believe that a, that a faith in Jesus Christ carries us on to an eternity with this suffering Savior that loves us, that was there with us from the beginning, and stands with us at the end. And this is the hope we offer.